You're listening to the Preppy Podcast. I'm your host, Patricia May Marish, and I'll be interviewing the brands, businesses, and influencers who are keeping the modern preppy lifestyle alive. Today I'm interviewing a total girl boss. Jessica Cameron is the owner of Pink Colony, Vermont's largest Lily Pulitzer store. She's a retail whiz who opened her first boutique at just 16 years old. We talk about her passion, how retail has changed, and so much more. I hope you'll enjoy. All right, I'm here with Jessica from Pink Colony, and we are just going to jump right in. So take us back to the beginning. Tell us a little bit about where you grew up, what you were like when you were growing up, what kind of hobbies you had, maybe if you were always into fashion. Yeah, absolutely. Well, first of all, thank you so much for having me, Patricia. I'm so excited. I'm a huge fan of your podcast and you in general. I think um, I think you're a great inspiration, especially now when people are really looking for kind of guidance in the business world and entrepreneurs. So thank you for having me. I'm just really excited. Um, so oh, thank you so much. <laughs> of course, of course. So, okay, where did it all start? Um I have always been into fashion. I've always been into um, just the world of beauty, fashion, uh, business in general. It started very young for me. Um, I'm a total girly girl. I always have been. My mom always tells the story that I would I refused to wear sneakers and pants to school. I would cry when I had to wear pants <laughs> and sneakers in gym class. I was not interested in that. Um, I wanted to wear dresses. I wanted to be, you know, have the matching hair bow. So um, I don't think I changed a whole lot since I was four years old. Um, Pretty much the same. I love shiny, beautiful things. And um, that's pretty much across every category, um, not just through business. So I grew up on Long Island in New York. Uh, That's where my family is from. Okay. Um, there's just kind of an interesting fact, but no business uh, ownership in my family. I don't come from like business owners or entrepreneurs oh. or anything like that. Um, I'm kind of the the one and only. I'm the, the black sheep when it comes to that. So okay. Um, yeah, but I I grew up in New York, and I say that I'm half and half because when I was 13, my parents moved us from New York down to Florida. So that was kind of an important time, um, you know, and that's why I say I'm half and half because, you know, the, the first half of my childhood was in New York and the other half was down in Florida. Mm-hmm. Um, and I lived in Florida for a while before I, I moved up to Vermont. And so I'm kind of from all over. That's not really like a clear answer. I'm My, my background is a little <laughs> bit from everywhere, which I think a lot of people are nowadays. Definitely. Well, that's awesome. I mean, I think that's so interesting that you're really the only entrepreneur then in your family. I feel like that's a lot different than the the people we've interviewed before. And um, generally, I feel like entrepreneurship runs in the family. So that's great of you to, you know, have that ambition and kind of do something completely different than everyone else. Yes, it is completely different. Um, so I guess my... that leads... Go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, so let's go into the next... Um, you know, sort of section of your life. So where did you end up? Did you go to college? And if so, what did you study? Um, And where did you end up going if that was the path you took? Yeah, this is a great question. Um, And I have kind of uh, 
interesting answer to this one. So um, back to, I grew up in New York. We moved down to Florida when I was 13, mm-hmm. and my parents have always been very out-of-the-box um, thinkers. So um, I had always mm-hmm. gone to traditional schooling, public and private, kind of a mix of both on Long Island. And when we moved down to Florida, um, my parents did something they've always wanted to do. I think it was uh, it was a value of theirs that they had that they just hadn't had the opportunity to do uh, while living in the rat race of New York. So um, yep. they pulled my brother and I out of traditional schooling, and we started kind of an untraditional, very open-boundaried uh, homeschool program. And this was integral in part of my um, my interest in entrepreneurship in business. And um, Mm -hmm. it sort of set the precedence and allowed the scheduling for what came next in my life, which um, I I actually opened my first store um, in Gainesville, Florida, which is home of the University of Florida, in uh, 2006, and I was 16 years old. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. So it kind of makes my story a little bit interesting because um, it was – it was – a creative project, something that I had expressed a lot of interest in. And again, going back to, you know, my parents not having any business experience per se, they were very supportive, but um, as hands-on as they could be, uh, because it, mm-hmm. it wasn't like this is something that they were they were accustomed to doing. Um, so essentially what that meant was, um, I, 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 well, I'll take you back just a, a few steps really quickly. Um, yeah. When I was a kid, and you know a young teenager my interest was very straightforward it was cosmetics beauty products and in 2006 this was pre sephora coming to the us i mean they were they weren't okay. really opening doors like you see now they've gone on kind of this mm-hmm. this rampage of opening doors in the past decade and when we moved down to florida um what i noticed was there was no place to buy cosmetics, hair care, perfume, these upscale brands that nowadays we're just incredibly used to finding at Nordstrom's everywhere and Sephora's practically, you know, two doors in every mall. So, you know, University of Florida, where we moved, um, has 50,000 college students. And, you know, a lot of them come from South Florida, where they're accustomed to buying these products. And Mm-hmm. When we moved there, it it was frustrating. I was really frustrated. You know, I would sit in my room literally for hours, and I, I joke that I was like the original Pinterest creator because I would just have these scrapbooks <laughs> where I was researching products and I was cutting them out of magazines also, which were relevant in 2004, and I was scrapbooking yeah. them. And, and really, I was creating like the first Pinterest board. I just didn't know what I was doing at the time. <laughs> Um, yeah, <laughs> kind of funny. <laughs> and um, so around 14 years old, that led me um, to I started the first I started my first blog when I was 14. And it was also my first website, which was essentially okay. a blog. Um, unlike now, there was no template, there was no way to really create your own. I started uh, teaching myself how to write HTML on the back end. And I started to interview oh my gosh. people. I know this is, and, and this is why my okay. story is so out of the box. Um, and it goes back, you know, quite yeah. a ways for me. You know, it's, it, there's really like a holistic picture here. Um, and so uh-huh. when, when I started, you know, creating this website and this blog, I, 
I would send out, you know, 10, 20 emails a day to different brands. And this was before influencers, but a lot of these brands were uh-huh. just getting their start in, um, in the industry. And I would reach out to the brand and it was really cool because a lot of them were still making them at home or in really small warehouses at the time. And, um, they would send me product. And so I started getting swag bags all the time. You know, there would oh be boxes gosh. showing up at my parents' house um, filled with soaps and filled with perfume and filled with cosmetics. And they would say, you know, try them out. Let us know what you think. And then I would review them. And they had no idea I was 14. They had no idea that, you know, who I was, what I was doing. And I would, I would review them. Yeah. And I would interview, um, my review would always come with an interview of the creator. And so that led me okay. to, to meet a lot of really influential people. Um, I met Leslie Blodgett, who is the CEO of Bear Essentials. And um, wow. she gave me a personal interview when I was 15 for my website. And um, what was really cool about that was she... She knew how old I was. I'd met her in person at an event at Sephora, and she agreed to an interview. And I was 15 years old in my bedroom, and, you know, her and I had a conference call, and she asked me to give her input on how to grow the brand and, you know, what I was seeing as trending in the marketplace. And that was really how I got my start. Um, I just kind of – I went for it, and I didn't really care about, you know, Mm -hmm. my age or – you know, what they might think of it. So the support was really incredible. When in 2006, I decided to open the store, I reached out to all of these contacts that I had met through my website and my blog that I'd been doing for a couple of years at that point. And all of them said, yes, they agreed. Every single brand that I wanted, I got approval for. And it was, it was incredible. I, I wrote my own business plan. Um, I I was able to reach out to all of these CEOs and the founders. I mean, and what's really cool now is to watch a lot of these brands that I had known the creators and talk through their processes in 2004, 2005. And now, you know, now they're one of the top 10 in Sephora and Nordstrom. Um, So the industry Mm -hmm. has changed a lot. And um, I, I was kind of on the forefront of it and I had no idea. That is so cool. I love that part of your story too, because I feel like a lot of that is similar to me as well. I started my blog. I was a little bit later, but um, when I was 18 and I would do the same thing, I would reach out to all these fashion designers and interview them. Um, And that kind of led me to, you know, my PR company today. And it was all sort of strategic, which it sounds like with you as well, Um, whether you knew it at the time or not, it ended up benefiting you later and was part of this bigger plan and this bigger map. Um, that's amazing. So tell us a little bit more about this first store then. What was it called? And um, so it was in Gainesville, Florida, correct? What? Tell us a little bit more about that and how long you had it for and all of that good stuff. Yeah, absolutely. So um, we opened the doors of the beauty loft, it was called, and it was literally in a loft. And so I decided to do a little bit of a test market. That was how my business plan was written. And Um, What we did was I approached a successful clothing store a few blocks from the University of Florida Sorority Row because I knew they would be my primary Mm -hmm. customer base. And they had this 600 square foot loft space within the clothing store. And I said, you know, would you be willing to sublet me the loft space in your store? I feel like we share a customer base and I think that we could really both benefit from this. And 
the owner of the store um, said, yeah, let's, let's try it out. So we went on a short-term lease and I approached all of these brands. I got approval for all of these brands and we opened up our doors um, to this loft space and it was jam packed. Like uh, I can paint the picture for you. Like you walk up 18 stairs into this loft space and it's just jam packed with Uh all of the, like pretty much a Sephora, but in 600 square feet. And It was crazy. I had a huge yeah. <laughs> chandelier hanging and, you know, we we had a little makeup station and a hot pink couch and it was just, it was fun. It was, it was what cosmetics were supposed to be. You know, it wasn't this sterile yeah. um, Clinique counter. It was really like, you know, it, yep. it, was, it was a place you wanted to hang out and that was really what we were going for. So um, we were in the loft space for about six months. We were doing really, really well. Um, there were, you know, a huge turnout okay. from sororities and just, you know, people in general. And six months into the space, um, we found out that Sephora was finally opening in Gainesville. And <laughs> to this day, okay. like, I, I, I really do feel like I had something to do with that because they had no interest before we, we started to crush it in Gainesville. Uh-huh. So kind of at that crossroads at that point where – he said, well, do you close? You know, do, do you say, okay, well, you know, the big one's here. Maybe we don't need to be here any longer. Or do you dig your heels uh-huh. in and go head to head with them? And um, any guesses to what I did, uh, that, that is what I chose to do. So we moved the store. We doubled our size. We doubled our inventory. And we decided oh, wow. to go head to head with them. And you know, that worked. We were there for about three years and um, we were in 1,200 square okay. feet. We expand, we, we literally doubled our inventory, brought in the brands that we thought we needed in order to be able to survive in that retail climate. And it was great. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I, I learned a tremendous amount. Um, and what that inevitably led to was um, I went and opened a second store after the three year mark up in Tallahassee, Florida. So we had two stores going at the same time, okay. uh, Gainesville and Tally. And again, Sephora opened up in Tallahassee within six months of me having the store up there. And um, they opened a second store, a second Sephora uh-huh. in Gainesville around that time as well. So uh, that also was around the time oh, that wow. I, I had, <laughs> you know, it's funny. It's funny the way life works and and how, um, how all of those things come together, but Back to your original question, no, I, I did not go to college. Um, I Having the store at 16, okay. um, I was working, and I was I was You were working full-time then. I really was, um, and it didn't feel like work. It, it really – it was my passion. It's what I wanted to do all day, every mm-hmm. day, um, and during this time, I was the face of the store. I was running all of the sorority philanthropy. We were the original trunk show pop-ups. We would go – with a table okay. and products, and we didn't have Square, but we would go to the sorority houses. I sponsored all of their philanthropy. Um, the community was really important to me, and 
I was invited. Um, I spoke, actually, I was a, a presenter at the University of Florida MBA business program at 18 years old. I went and I was interviewed oh for the MBA business program. Um, wow. I was I was awarded as a woman of distinction with the Girl Scouts of America when I was uh, 19 years old. So I was kind of like the oh face, the, the image of my business. And that's something that I've mm-hmm. carried with, with what I'm doing now that people really care about the person behind the brand. And that's something that I, I stay true to um, even today. I love that. So I guess a few questions that kind of spurred up from all of that. One, how did you learn, you know, different brands to carry? Was it just your own research? And then two, how did you know trends and makeup and beauty application? Did you hire people that sort of did that? I'm just thinking of, you know, Sephora's and Blue Mercury's today and how there there are makeup artists there. Like how at 16 years old, you know, did you learn all these things? Was it kind of just self-taught? It's a great question. Um, the first question is easier. You know, how, how did I cultivate the brands? How did I know which ones to carry? So mm-hmm. um, when, I, when I wrote my first business plan, um, I created a hard and fast list. And this is something that, you know, I did with Pink Colony as well. And I had the anchor brands, the, the top five to ten brands that if you don't get them, it's not worth it to open. And then a lot of the smaller, lesser known ones okay. that were on the cusp. Um, and what I was noticing, you know, for the beauty loft especially, was people wanted a mix of both. And I'm not sure if you know the history of Sephora and Blue Mercury, but Sephora, when it first opened in Europe, its its real intent was to take smaller, lesser known, um, boutiquey brands and put them in an environment okay. with a hundred other brands and really watch them grow. And um, that's essentially what okay. you know LVMH and Sephora has done over the years. I mean. Jeanine Lobel, who owned Stila, and um, Marcia Kilgore, you know, who owned Bliss Labs at the time. Like these were people who literally walked into the Sephora headquarters with their products in a shoebox, and they said, "You know, wh- what do you think? Should we should we try and sell this as a brand?" And Sephora said, "Yeah, let's try it." And you know, now they're they're publicly traded Forbes 500 companies. So um, yeah, we. Well, I mean, that that's what. That's I, I really think what I was made to do is um, that's something I've been very grateful and lucky enough to have that knack for is to see something before it's big. And uh, so uh-huh. I had my hard and fast list. These are the anchors. These are the established ones. These are what you have to have in your door to get her in. And then while she's in, you're going to teach and educate her about the smaller ones. So I spent hundreds and hundreds of hours of research um, trying to figure out who who's up and coming you know wh- why are they interesting what do they have to offer what does their plan feel like and um, is it something I would buy you know that's something I always come back yep. to if, if it's not something I would buy I don't waste my time um, I I was also you know at, at 14 years old I was subscribing to WWD which at the time would be delivered to my house it's women's wear daily yeah you know <laughs> I remember it, it, that I did the same. <laughs> And stuff. It was so cheap, but it was so incredibly helpful. You know, it's it's business. It's mm-hmm. they had one editor who did cosmetics and um, cosmetic reviews, and I would read this religiously every single day. It was delivered to my house, and you know, I learned a lot from them. And um, you know, they they would say, you know, a new a new store opened on the Upper East Side, and then I would go online and I would research them, and I would see what are they carrying, and oh, I've never heard of this one. Let me reach out, okay. and then you know, you would work 
out and negotiate deals with these brands. And within a couple of weeks, they were in your store. So that, that kind of answers question one. Um, question two, as far as makeup artistry, yeah. um, I, I studied Milady. I studied a lot of the um, makeup artistry books at the time. Um, this was before contouring. <laughs> this was before, you know, a lot of the, um, the techniques. That like YouTube videos out. even, right? Yeah, there were no YouTube videos. There was nothing. Um, yeah. So <laughs> there was a lot of reading. It was a lot of practice. I did have some friends who were professional makeup artists. And uh, whenever we would host an event, like um, I, I sponsored uh, the Florida Miss America, all of the pageants, and we did all of the makeup for them. We, we hosted tutorials and taught. Um, we taught them how to do their makeup. And I would always have professional makeup artists um, on call for that. And I was also friends with, um, you know, the woman who started Blue Mercury. She'd been to my store. She was one of my original mentors and, and coaches. And so, you know, it was kind of creating this network and a lot of it was self-taught because we had no other option at the time. There was no choice. Yeah. No, I love that. I mean, that's, so smart of you and you just seem like a real go-getter especially so young it's impressive um so after so I guess when did you decide to close those stores and then what was next because I know you've owned a few businesses yeah so um in 2010 um so I had I had met my husband at um in Tallahassee when I was living there and I okay. he he got a job at the Breakers in Palm Beach which is a place that's near and dear to my heart. I love Palm Beach. I grew up visiting Palm Beach. I have family there yes. and always wanted to live there. Um and so he got an internship um at the Breakers um and so okay. I we we decided to move down to Palm Beach together in 2010, 2011 and I tried running the store in Tallahassee long distance. I really tried and it was just not mm-hmm. feasible. You know, I wasn't I wasn't able to be there and I missed it and you know, I missed my customers and I missed my staff and um so we decided to close the doors and try to like enter this okay. new this new phase of life which at the time I wasn't that thrilled about to be honest and um now I'm really 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 grateful that that's what happened and that was a path that was chosen um I went on to after I closed the doors uh I knew it wasn't the end I just knew that the locational mm-hmm. difference wasn't going to work logistically so um yep. We, I, I had kept all of my inventory, all of my marketing. I, I mean, I really thought that this was something I was going to continue doing. And I went and I, I got a job um, at a five-star resort, and it was really helpful okay. to me. I worked in, uh, in the spa. I assisted with buying. I assisted with management and marketing initiatives. And you know, at, at the, like I said, at the time, I was really missing my business, you know, to go from never having had a mm-hmm. boss to go from your own schedule, your own plans. Um, and I'm glad that I was able to learn that structure when I did. Um, because the five star service is something that we use in Pain Colony religiously, it's, it's part of our training manual yep. in our Bible. And, you know, it's, it's about 
it's about not only customer service, but also how the customer is expecting to be treated. And this was something that was ingrained in me um, while I was working in the hospitality industry. Um, so I, I went from the five-star resort um, down in Palm Beach, and then I worked for a members-only resort, mm-hmm. which was a really interesting experience for me. Um, oh. I was the assistant manager of a spa in a members-only club. And that also gave me okay. a lot of experience um, in regards to customer service, in regards to buying um, for a small place like that. And I was able to utilize mm-hmm. a lot of the tools that I had learned for um, buying, customer service, management, um, and just kind of filling out that holistic picture um, in the, the next couple of years of life that I was down in Palm Beach. Wow, that's amazing. I I really could see that the customer service you learned from that and probably even, you know, somewhat of a not exclusivity in the sense that discluding others, but in the sense of making something seem really special. Um, I think that's those are all great lessons to learn. So then is this where you fell in love with Lily Pulitzer down in Palm Beach? What led you then from here to Pink Colony? Yes. So, you know, I've always worn Lily. I've always loved Lily. It's always been, you know, I'm, I'm a Florida girl at heart. So Lily is always going to be a part of my life. But living down in Palm Beach is really what sparked that for me. Um, there's something there's something really magical about Palm Beach. And, you know, it, it's hard to explain mm-hmm. if you've never been there. But it's um, <laughs> there's so much history and the history has a lot to do with Lily herself and you know Lily as a person and as an individual and and long before the brand became what it is today you know there's there's just a real loyalty to her and the family and the lifestyle because Lily is not about a product at all it's truly about a lifestyle and to be able to be surrounded by that lifestyle on a daily basis. Um, yeah, it, it definitely, I would say that was the catalyst of the interest. That was the beginning. Um, and you know, I knew at that point that, um, that it was going to be relevant in my life, but, um, I had no idea that was going to happen Mm -hmm. inevitably in Vermont (laughs) of all places. Yeah. So tell us then what led to Vermont? How'd you end up there? Yeah. So, uh, we were living down in Palm beach for, a little while and loving it. And um, my husband is born and raised in Vermont. He's a, a Vermonter, I guess you could call him. Oh. And okay. so uh, it was the off season for us. It was uh, the beginning of summer, which, um, you know, is beautiful mm-hmm. and wonderful in Palm Beach. Don't get me wrong, but it's a much slower pace. And, you know, most of the, the county clears out in the summertime. They go back to New England or, you know, somewhere else. So, um, he got yeah. he got a job offer to do some seasonal work up in Vermont, and um, he kind of looked at me and said, you know, would, would you be interested in going up to Vermont for the summer? You know, and I thought about it, and I said, yeah, let's let's try it. So we uh-huh. we moved up to Vermont, um, and there was no real plan to stay in Vermont. If I'm being completely honest, it was it was kind of like a um, yeah, we're going to go up for the summer and we'll be back down for season. And that was almost seven years ago. And we're still up here. (laughs) It's, it's just been this, (laughs) um, this ongoing, you know, it's funny how life works. Um, 
it wasn't necessarily planned, but a lot of things fell into place that wouldn't have otherwise. And it, it led to this wonderful store that I have. And, you know, I, I'm so incredibly grateful for that. So, um, yeah, we, we are now up in Vermont and that's how I got up here. Amazing. Okay. So now let's talk about Pink Colony. How did you decide to open this store and tell us a little bit about, um, what the store is? Yeah, of course. So, uh, we moved up to Vermont and, um, I, I knew that I couldn't open a beauty loft in Vermont. It just, you know, with Sephora having saturated the market and, you know, to be honest, I, I really think that I had moved out of that phase um, at that point. You know, I think I was looking a little bit more towards the direction of fashion. Um, cosmetics is a very difficult industry to be in. It's, it's competitive. It's expensive. Everything has an expiration date. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, your buy-ins are tremendous. They're huge. Um, and also, you know, the Internet now, when I'd moved up to Vermont, um, at this point, everything that we'd been selling was now available online, which was not true uh, when I first opened the beauty loft. So really had no interest in yeah. that. Um, but, you know, the, the ownership and the entrepreneurship and the mentorship of owning a business is in my blood. And it's always something I find myself coming back to. So um, uh, we moved up here and I, as I'm researching, oh, do I want to open another store up here? I, I walk into, uh, I walk into the largest cosmetic store in the state, the only one. And they offered me a job on the spot and I took the job and I said, Hey, why not? I'm only here for the summer. And I became an assistant manager there. Um, and I was there for a couple okay. of years. I helped with their buying, with their marketing, budgeting, things like that. And that worked for me. And then I sort of got burned out. You know, I'd, I'd been doing it at this point mm-hmm. for, you know, like for almost a decade, I'd been in that industry and I, I was just kind of done. I was seeing the market change and I wanted to change with it. So um, I completely stepped out of my comfort zone and I went and got my real estate license and I I decided to work primarily in commercial real estate. Um, and my emphasis oh, was wow. on small business and I was facilitating lease deals for uh, small business owners. Um, leasing spaces, primarily retail, office, and some warehouse industrial. And that was near and dear to my heart because, you know, procuring spaces and looking for spaces and helping um, other business owners to grow is something that I had been on the other side of for so long. Um, And I had really wished that somebody had helped me and mentored me through that process. And so now I was in the driver's Mm -hmm. seat and I was working with these really cool and upcoming businesses. A lot of them were husband and wives. A lot of them were, you know, smaller to mid-sized businesses. And so I was, um, I was kind of doing what I love to do just in a completely different position, um, different, different side of things. So I did that for a few years and, you know, it, it posed its own challenges. Um, the creative side of me was crying out and the creative side of me was saying like, that this was great and I loved the the legal side the contractual side um but something is missing you know I I really I still missed all of the aspects of business ownership that were creative um so I took some time off I got pregnant with my daughter and I stayed home with her uh through my pregnancy and then for a couple of years after that um uh, we had at that point relocated to Stowe 
from the Burlington area. Um, Stowe is a place that I had always wanted okay. to live. Um, Stowe to me was closest to what I was familiar with market-wise. Um, and so uh-huh. when we moved to Stowe, um, my daughter was about one and a half. And I said, you know what? It's time. I can't wait any longer. I haven't been working for a few years. I miss it. And I want to do it again. And so, you know, I, I sort of reflected and I said, well, what do I feel passionate about? What's something I want to spend my time doing my days? And Lily Pulitzer, without a question, is what I felt passionate about because I missed it. And it was almost like I was bringing a piece of Palm Beach to Vermont. And for me, that yep. that was really important on a lot of levels. So um, in July of 2017, I opened the doors to Pink Colony. That's amazing. Wow. So why, I guess, talk to us a little bit about the process then of getting Lily Pulitzer, because are you considered then a signature store? I don't know how they market um, it today, but that must have been hard to convince, you know, the Lily Pulitzer group that you're opening the store and they need to partner with you. Yeah, it's a great question. So there's a lot of a lot of questions about this. I get these all the time. You know, what kind of store are you? How come you're not on the Lily website? How can you sell other things? Okay. Yeah. So, um, really quickly. So, as far as I know, Lily Pulitzer is broken down really into three categories of stores. There's corporate, which of course is owned by the Lily Pulitzer brand. Mm-hmm. Then there's signature, which is closer to being. Um, a franchise, if you will. So the signature stores okay. have agreed to have um, almost 100% of their inventory must be Lily Pulitzer. It's a very highly regulated kind of a business, um, specifically now on social media. You know, you, you really, you have to have a true Lily Pulitzer brand come across. So the third category of mm-hmm. store is called a, a specialty store. And the specialty store, while we're still held to an incredibly high standard of Lily Pulitzer rules and regulations, um, we are allowed to bring in a certain percentage of our product can be not Lily Pulitzer. So we technically at this point in time are categorized as a specialty store. And um, I made that decision when we first opened because being in Vermont, it's really important for us to carry you know, other products that aren't quite as resorty. So we wanted the ability to carry winter boots and cashmere mm-hmm. sweaters and pom-pom hats and a lot of these things that the Lily brand just doesn't make yeah. because it doesn't make sense for them to make it. Um, so mm-hmm. long story short, we're technically considered to be a specialty store, um, but we, we do sit under the umbrella of being a Lily store um, and we do fall under the category okay. of having all of the same rules and regulations that a regular Lily store or any Lily store would have, if, if that makes sense. Okay, no, I, that makes a lot of sense. And I feel like probably, like you said, a lot of people ask you that. And so I'm sure a lot of listeners um, that helped make sense of everything. So that leads me to my next question. How would you describe your store to someone who has never heard of it? What makes it special? What what do customers say, you know, that these are the reasons why I love Pink Colony? Yeah, that's great. So um, we are the only, well, we are the largest Lily store in Vermont. Um, I, I like to say north of Boston because... Uh, we are okay. locally, fam- we're, you know, privately owned. We're not corporate. Um, mm-hmm. And so what, what really makes us stand out is our variety. 
um, I have on a regular basis, you know, the majority of our customers, because Stowe is such a seasonal town, the majority of them are second homeowners in Stowe. So they come from the Boston area, they come from Westchester County, they come from, um, you know, New York. And so when they're coming up to Stowe, number one, they're shocked. They're surprised to see a Lily Pulitzer store this far north. Um, and a lot of them yep. tell me mm-hmm. that, you know, our variety is really incredible. You know, we, the buying process that I go through to make sure we have a little bit of everything is incredibly uh, detailed. A lot of thought goes into it. And, you know, we're buying for a, a huge demographic of people. And, you know, what's really important to me is that everybody feels included in what the store has. This is something Mm -hmm. that I've always stood by that um, if we don't have a size, we'll buy the size, we'll get it for you. Like nobody should ever feel like there's a stereotypical, you know, Lily Pulitzer person or, you know, a pink colony person. Like we, if this style doesn't suit you, we'll get you something that does. And so, you know, we, we've got a lot of hands-on ownership. I'm in the store often. Um, I'm very hands-on when it comes to special ordering. And we try and make sure we have, you know, a really healthy assortment. Um, the, the quantity is uh-huh. not what's important to me. The assortment is what's important. You know, we've got a variety of dresses. Then you've got a variety of Luxletic for, you know, I mean, let's be honest, we wear Luxletic all the time, not just when we're working out. And, yes. you know, but, but we have a little <laughs> bit of everything. And that's, that's what kind of sets us apart. We've got this curated inventory that is hand selected. Um, I mm-hmm. spend, uh, honestly, I, I probably spent half of my year traveling for buying shows. And, not just the shows, but the meetings. Uh-huh. And, um, you know, when I'm there, what I'm looking for is something that is going to complement my Lily customer and never, ever compete with a Lily product. But, you know, that way a lot of uh-huh. people will walk in and they'll say, oh, my God, is this all Lily? And we'll say, no, we, we actually carry 40 brands at Pink Colony. And, you know, it's my goal to make sure wow. that collectively as a whole, when you're in the store, it all is very cohesive and on brand for us. Mm-hmm. Um, and nothing ever is directly competing. Um, and that said, you know, I, I know the owners of all of the brands in my store. I know them all personally. I know their goals, their initiatives, their marketing strategies. And so I keep all of that in mind when I bring them in. And um, what's important to me is the long term, you know, how are they investing in me and how am I investing in them? And I think that that's what really sets us apart from a typical run of the mill cookie cutter store that just has products in it. You know, there's, there's a lot of love that goes into it and a tremendous amount of thought and planning. So I I would say that primarily is what sets us apart. Mm -hmm. No, that's a great answer. And you guys carry so many great brands. I know you have Gal Meets Glam and Harding Lane and um, some great cashmere brands as well. So could you tell us a little bit about, you have an online website as well as, you know, your physical brick and mortar store. And a lot of boutiques really don't have that, even in today's world, I'm shocked. So what's the importance of that to you? Um, It sounds like even from a young age, you know, you started a blog and learned a little bit about coding way back when. So it's always been sort of important. So do you want to talk a little bit more about that aspect of the business? 
Yeah, absolutely. And and this is such an incredibly relevant question right now, especially. And, you know, I, I really am yeah. incredibly grateful for the work that we put into our website in 2017 when we started it, um, because I would not want to be in the position of starting it right now. You know, that I, it's such an incredible amount of work mm-hmm. and it truly is a business in and of itself. Um, what we've seen for the web, the websites, you know, it's integral. You have to have a website nowadays. And for us, it's really an inventory catalog because we do carry so many products. You know, we have over 5,000 units on our website and um, with the 30 to 40 plus brands. So for us, it really helps us categorize what we have in the store. Um, it helps us to create collections in a mindful way as we're helping the customer navigate the store um, because, you know, every product is photographed really well. Um, Every product has an important description and all of this is relating back to SEOs and how customers are finding us. Um, I actually did a poll on our Instagram yesterday um, that we had 400 people view and a couple hundred votes and it was kind of jarring. Um, The question was, do you shop in store or on our website more frequently? And 60% of people who okay. voted said online on the website. And that's wow. kind of, it's, it's incredible. And that's not just relevant to right now. You know, we've seen a pretty steady growth on our e-com over the past few years. Um, it's, it's been going up 10 to 20% every year steadily. And I think a lot of that is yep. due to, you know, the, the flexibility of having a website, you know, somebody wants to be able to stay at home and browse the catalog at their leisure. Um, and, you know, not everybody is lucky enough to live in Vermont, to live in Stowe, to come in, to see what we have. And, you know, a lot of customers, honestly, what we find is they come up to Vermont, they come in the store, they shop the store, and then they go back home and they shop the website. So we're kind of building the customer base and the brick and mortar, and then we're continuing that relationship for as long as the customer is willing to continue it from wherever in the world she might live. So, you know, for us on the back end, it's it's incredibly important to have that website in terms of growth and analytics tracking. And then for the customer, you know, it's it's just crazy not to have one nowadays. You, you have to. Yep, definitely. And I love the fact, I mean, I am outside of Philadelphia and I can shop your website because it's such a well curated selection of product that I love, you know, shopping you guys. Well, thank you. We we appreciate that. Yeah. So I guess the next question that I have for you is what's been your greatest tool in terms of marketing? How did you get the word out and sort of grow your business this time around? Okay, so this is where I tend to geek out a little bit because, um, you know, honestly, like the marketing aspect of my business is one of my favorites. Um, This is, you know, this is where it really all starts to come together. Um, So, you know, having the website, while yes, it's an integral part of the business, it is not the most important part of the business. You know, I, I tend to get a little bit preachy in this situation because I... This again, this is my passion. Like the the marketing side of things has changed so much since I first started in this industry, and um, I I really I can't help but feel like we, you, I, all of the other women that you're interviewing, we are actually on the cutting edge of change. You know, we're sitting here and we're watching our businesses grow and change and adapt and innovate and. We're on the front lines of that, and it's really exciting because I can feel it changing 
and we can see it changing both, you know, from the analytics and from, you know, just the, the trends that are happening right now. Um, and so what's been successful for me, and this is just, you know, exclusive to my business, but I think to, to speak to everybody, this, this is relevant information, but, um, Social media for us has been such an incredible source of growth. And as I was mm-hmm. saying, you know, having a website, while yes, it's important, yes, it's integral, it's not the most important. What's the most important is understanding your customer and understanding how she's utilizing your social media. How is she getting to your website? The website, in my opinion, should be the end of the line. That should be your, metaphorically speaking, your icing on the cake. So by the time she's gotten to the website, what we've been able to to track successfully is I have communicated with that customer probably twice. She has gone Mm -hmm. to another form of social media about a product. So just to get through the process really quickly, what usually happens is a customer will be on Facebook and she'll see an ad pop up with a Lily Pulitzer product and she'll say, God, that tunic is really cute. I wonder what it's called. And then she'll go on the Lily Pulitzer website. Mm-hmm. She'll find it. She'll cut and copy the name of the product. She'll go into Google. She'll put it in. She's thinking to herself, I wonder how this fits. So at that point, she's already found the product she wants. She's researching it. Then she finds herself down the rabbit hole uh-huh. of one of these incredible Facebook groups. The Facebook group is giving her fit advice and now she's armed with the information that okay well Mm -hmm. now I know how it fits I know why I like it how am I going to wear this what am I going to pair it with and now she's doing a little bit more research well do they look good with white pants do I need gold sneakers to go with it what kind of earrings do I wear with this tunic and she's putting all of this information into google which at some point, she's going to stumble onto the Instagram page. And the Instagram page is going to show her lifestyle pictures of how is this being worn in real life? How are other people wearing it? How are they styling it? And she's she's buying into the emotional aspect mm-hmm. of the product at that point. You sort of, you lose your customer along the way from buying from a practicality standpoint. And now she's really interested in that product and how it relates to her lifestyle and also her goals. Um, Every purchase that a woman makes is deeply emotional on some level uh, when it comes to the Lily Pulitzer brand. So we're able to really see this process of, you know, the searching, the researching, the um, justification of the purchase, um, how else she's going to wear it, what she's going to wear it with. And by the time she gets to our website, I have spoken to this customer most likely over a couple different forms of social. She's been on Facebook. She's been on Instagram. And now she's finally ready to buy. And so we're dealing with a new customer who is armed with information. She is well-read. She doesn't have a lot of time. She wants the product. She wants it in her life. And it's our job to get it to her. So for us, we see a lot Mm -hmm. of success on social media. um, And we follow, um, you know, my rules to social media are consistency, consistency. you know, getting your brand across in a consistent way, a customer should be able to see our Instagram photo um, on one of her search feeds and know automatically that we're a Lily Pulitzer store without having to click on our brand. So when we take our pictures, there's a lot of thought that goes into it. And 
um, there's a lot of lifestyle awareness that goes into it as well. And that has been successful for us. Um, we're seeing 80% mm -hmm. of our online referrals for our website are coming from Instagram, which is amazing. Oh, wow. That is. That's great. Um, okay, so switching gears a little bit, what's been your biggest challenge? My biggest challenge. Um, my biggest challenge is probably creating balance in my life. <laughs> um, you know, I, I'm a mom. I'm, I'm a parent. I'm a mom. Yeah. Um, and so my store is my passion. I love what I do. Um, it requires me to travel pretty often. You know, I'm, I'm not sure if um, most people aren't familiar with this, but Lily Pulitzer requires me to do all of my buys in person. So I'm traveling down okay. to either King of Prussia or Palm Beach four times a year. And I'm going to um, the New York buying shows twice a year. So pretty much once a month, I'm traveling somewhere for something store related. Mm -hmm. So being able to create that sense of balance with my four-year-old and get her to school on time, make sure dinner's on the table, make sure my employees are getting the information they need. Delegating out the work that I have on my plate is always challenging for me because, you know, as a business owner, you wear a lot of hats and you kind of, you fall into this pattern very easily that I can do everything. It's just easier if I do it, but it's not, mm -hmm. it never is. There's no long-term plan yep. there. You have to delegate and you have to be okay with the fact that it's not going to be exactly the way that you think it's going to be. And um, mm -hmm. that's something that I'm, I'm working on, you know, really consciously is um, really engaging with my employees and, and letting them do what they're good at. I'm very grateful to have the girls that I do. They're deeply talented in what they do. So I would say the short answer is balance and delegation. And delegation. I, yeah. I feel that completely. I have such a hard time letting go and delegating myself. <laughs> um, okay. So then going off of that, what do you think has been your greatest success when it comes to business? Or maybe, you know, what's your favorite part of what you do even? Yeah, the um, my greatest success is teaching. It's my it's my legacy. I believe that's what I'm meant to do, and I believe that um, if mm -hmm. for some reason you know I don't have the store, or if for some reason I shift gears and we do something else, um, that will never change. You know, that's something that uh, regardless of what industry you're in, um, teaching the people around you is so incredibly important, so they can continue on with the legacy that you created that you believe in passionately. So my employees, the people who work with me, um, we're a team, you know, it's, it's not, it's not a cast system. And I really think that, um, having a round table with a lot of different opinions is much more successful than, um, you know, somebody like a dictator style mentorship. And so mentoring yeah. my employees and watching them grow is so incredibly rewarding. You know, I'm, I, I have, you know, one specific employee, um, my head of operations, I call her, you know, she's an FIT graduate and mm -hmm. she's a Lily girl. She has been working in the Lily field for a decade. And, you know, I've been able to mentor her and watch her grow. And I, I brought her down to Palm Beach and, um, you know, I, I bring her to the buys in New York and I've done that with a lot of my employees. Oh. And for me, it's, it's not about the money. It's not about success. It's, it's about being able to impart this 
incredible philosophy that the brand, you know, Lily Pulitzer has and our values as a, as a small store. And it's, it's really rewarding because I know no matter where life takes them, they're going to use these skills. And, um, you know, it's, it's something that I wish somebody had done with me. And now I feel like as mama hen of Pink Colony, it's, it's my job to do with them. No, that's, that's great. That's so sweet. Um, so tell me a little bit, we talked kind of a little bit about your buying process, but I know there's some other entrepreneurs and designers that listen to this podcast. So how can a new brand get to you? Like, do you prefer an email or, um, someone contacting you on social media? How do you get in touch with new brands? Any of that is fine. Um, we procure a lot of new brands through social media. You know, on a weekly basis, I'm connecting with all of our brands through social. Um, you know, and it can be something okay. as informal as a direct message where they say, hey, check out my page. Um, I can tell you from personal experience that, you know, having having a really strong brand that we can buy into is helpful because when we're mm -hmm. sharing, we like them to share. And so it's kind of like this, um, you know, really helpful dichotomy where we're all on the same team and we're all, you know, cultivating that customer at the same time on the same channels. So if you have a strong social media presence, it is greatly helpful to us. But email, you know, okay. anything but calling because I, I'm very visual. I want to see the brand. I want to see it in its element. Uh -huh. And um, I also, I, I'm going to take my lead from merchandising your brand uh, the way that you merchandise it. So if I'm able to see you merchandising your brand okay. in a certain way, then that's the best way for me to uh, to take that lead and to continue with, with your branding plan. That's, that's great advice. Um, so any brands listening, feel free to reach out to Jessica. <laughs> um, all right. And then also, what's a day in the life like for you? I feel like, you know, retail is always changing in these days. So what's a typical day like for you? Oh, God, I, I miss typical, don't you? <laughs> um, you know, like, I know. Okay, before coronavirus. <laughs> okay, pre corona, that's fair. Um, you know, pre corona, so the way, the way our store works is very unique to, and I didn't know this. I'll just preface by saying that, um, you know, I, I made a friend with another business owner who's a women's clothing store and we got coffee a few months ago and we sat down mm -hmm. and she started explaining to me her process and I was shocked. I explained to her my process and she was shocked and it's really incredible that we can be in the same industry and we can go to the same buying shows and we can have generally the same customer mm -hmm. and our process can be so incredibly different. It's really amazing. So, um, yeah. Just really quickly, I know a lot of people are interested in how Lily Pulitzer works. It is such a unique brand in the buying and receiving world. Um, in my experience, no other brand works like this. And I would say it's a huge part of the reason they're as successful as they are. So we place our orders six months in advance in person. Um, these orders are, you know, placed in Palm Beach. It's an eight hour long plus buy. Uh, we sit in a room with all of the oh, other gosh. specialty or signature stores, and every single SCP is shown to us um, during this amazing day. And 
you know, the, the mm -hmm. background is explained to us where the print artist came up with the inspiration. Um, and for those of you who aren't familiar with the print artist aspect of Lily Pulitzer, they, they have a group of artists, um, all, all different kind of artists, graphic designers, watercolor, oil paint, and they fly them around the world on a seasonal basis. And that's where they're garnering their inspiration. So, um, Every single Lily Pulitzer print that you see at one point has been hand-painted. Um, I had the pleasure of going to the Pink Palace in King of Prussia last year, and I stood in the room with all of the print artists and this enormous wall. I mean, it's 20 feet long. It's like the bulletin board from your dreams, and it's full of their their explorations, their adventures, their painting that they've done on the beaches in Bermuda or the streets of Havana or, you know, somewhere exotic and beautiful. And then they all come together and they share all of these hand-painted prints. And then the graphic designers transfer them onto um, computer programs to see which ones are going to look best on fabric and products and metal and whatever we're putting the print mm -hmm. on. Um, and it's really a team effort. So, when by the time we go to these buys, you know, the print artists have made the print, it's gone through sampling and production on multiple kinds of fabric. Most of the time, we only get to see the sample of the product at, at that point, it hasn't been produced. And then, um, you know, we, we really go through the plan of what's new that season, how do we want to market it? What are the trends we're seeing in the marketplace? And then we really cultivate this buy. And after the buy, we go to the streets of Palm Beach and we get lots and lots of drinks and we celebrate. And that's tradition. So it's, um, you know, life is a party. Lily Pulitzer, I think, would want us mm -hmm. to do it this way. And it really takes that sterile. Oh, for sure. it, it's fun, you know, and there's a lot of thought and love that goes into it, but, you know, on the other hand, you know, we're, we're taking it tongue in cheek and we're saying like, if, if we don't live it, then we can't sell it. So we're, we're living the lifestyle. Mm -hmm. Um, and so that, that's essentially how we buy into the brand six months before we get it six months before it comes into store. And then every two weeks for the entire uh -huh. year, there's a new print that's delivered to us every two weeks. I mean, it's, it's crazy when you look at it that way. Wow. So it's all pre-ordered yeah. and it's coming to us in capsule collections. So every two weeks there's a new capsule collection and every collection has a story. Usually it's an animal base or a coral base or sea life base. And they've taken, mm -hmm. you know, products, they've put these prints on that have this tremendous story. And then we tell the story every two weeks. And then once it's released, it's gone. It's never released again. It's such an incredible marketing strategy to supply and uh -huh. demand that other brands have tried and not succeeded, but um, our customers are familiar with the shipping strategies. They're familiar that, hey, if I don't get this product, if I don't get the Madison Sport in you know, deep sea print now, I'm going to miss out and I'm never going to get it again. So it's, it's a strategy that no one else does. But once you know it, you learn to love it, and it really keeps us getting fresh merchandise on a bi-weekly basis. I love that. that. And I feel like a lot of people have always wondered how that process works. So that's very useful information. Um, okay, who is the Pink Colony girl? Uh, maybe who would be your dream person to shop in your store? It could be a celebrity, dead or alive, an influencer, maybe a royal. 
well, that's easy. <laughs> um, <laughs> it it would be Lily herself. You know, she is oh. our she is our muse. She is our idol, and you know what I uh-huh. would give to have a couple of rum runners with Mrs. Pulitzer herself. Uh, you know, who's led a deeply imperfect <laughs> life, which is something that I think is really important to reflect on. And nowadays, when we're going to social media and we're looking at influencers, mm-hmm. we're looking at a small fragment of their life. And I think, you know, we're kind of at that yeah. point when we want to see honesty, we want to see transparency, and we want to see the truth. And, um, you know, Lily, she she went through her own struggles. She she had a very serious bout with postpartum depression, um, which inevitably led to the creation of her brand. She had a very difficult first husband. Um, she also the the company at she was incredible creative but a terrible businesswoman and the company was on the brink of bankruptcy when it was purchased this most recent time um and so you know, she's she went through a lot and i think having her upbeat attitude and her outlook on life was the thing that kept her alive and kept her brand relevant in you know since the Jackie Kennedy era so i would say to have her walk through the doors um and be able to show her how her brand has changed the lives of so many people, myself included, would just be so amazing. I love that. She is the ultimate, I feel like, preppy icon. Um, so going off of that, what does preppy mean to you? I ask this to you know everyone that I interview because it is the preppy podcast. <laughs> it is a preppy podcast. And what I love about the word preppy is that it doesn't have a hard and fast definition. And To me, preppy Mm -hmm. is all about lifestyle. It's about somebody who takes life a little tongue-in-cheek and they're able to poke fun at themselves. And I also think that it's somebody who Mm -hmm. loves to travel and they see the beauty in nature. I mean, New England is so incredibly beautiful and there's so much history in New England. And, um, you know, the preppy New Englander is the person that I relate most to. Um, because they're dynamic. They're able to walk the cliff walk in Newport and then, you know, hop on the ferry and um, go, you know, shop small maybe in Greenwich and come up to Vermont and après ski. And she loves nature. Uh, She loves her community. Uh, To me, preppy means giving back, having Mm -hmm. a a strong sense of philanthropy um, and also, you know, feeling uh, a connection with their their history with, um, you know, the roots that preppy really is about history in a lot of ways. And, um, you know, how, how we can relate back to that in today's day and age when everything feels so fast paced. So I would say it's, it's, it's not a person, it's a lifestyle. Yeah. I love that. That's, that's such a good answer. Um, all right. Some fun questions now. What do you like to do in your spare time when you're not working? What is that? Spare time? <laughs> um, <laughs> no, just kidding. I mean, I, I love what I do, so it never feels like work. Um, I'd love to travel. I, mm-hmm. I try and make sure when I travel for quote unquote work that I'm always have a heavy dose of play. Um, I love to golf. I'm not incredibly good at golf, but I am trying. Um, it gets me outside. It gets me fresh air. I've met a lot of people through golf and um, you know, it's, it's just one of those things. I think it's a skill. It's important to have. Um, 
I'm an avid yeah. cook. I try really hard um, to make a lot of homemade meals and instill that value in my daughter. Um, I, for my 30th birthday this year, uh, I went to Paris and I did this amazing culinary uh. tour for a week and it was life changing. I mean, it was my dream trip. And, um, I got to walk the farmer's markets that the Barefoot Contessa is getting her beets in. And, um, oh you know, I, I got to go to like the most famous uh, bread shops and cheesemongers. And I, I got to watch the um, this adorable husband and wife duo on the streets of Paris that own this super cute cheese shop that's like the size of a postage stamp. And their cheese cellar is right in the basement of their store. And these, you know, they're probably in their 70s. Oh they're walking up and down this ladder to their basement where they're curing their own brie cheese and really very eye-opening so you know I think a combination of food and travel um those are my my favorite things Mm -hmm. to do and um yeah and and a good bottle of wine that never hurts either but I would say that (laughs) nutshell right there I love that all right. So what's the your favorite piece in your story? Now, I know sometimes this is hard. It's like choosing a favorite kid. <laughs> this is an impossible question. Um, this, this, <laughs> is a, this is a really, really tough one. Um, but I would say I'm, I'm really into the customized vibe right now. I think uh, we're all sort of feeling like anybody can go and buy something. But when we're putting a lot of thought and effort into a purchase. We want it to feel special and unique. Um, I'm loving the monogram corner bags. Um, these are something we've carried okay. for uh, two summer seasons now. They're a hand-painted wicker bag. Um, and I love the fact that it's a small business. She's a woman business owner, and she's making them in New England. And she hand-paints whatever color initials you want on these bags, and then you can use them for a lifetime. So I think, you know, in the market, what we're seeing is people are wanting something different, unique, that feels like it has a lot of value, um, but, you know, is also practical. And I mean, I, I love everything in the store, and I love the things that I know are coming. But if if I can support somebody like her, that's that's something I'm I'm going to go out of my way to do every time. I love that. That's a great answer. Um, okay, what's your dream vacation location? Um, once all of this is over, coronavirus, and you can travel again, where's somewhere that you really hope to go? Oh my gosh, the grocery store with no mask on would be great. Um, but- <laughs> It's okay. We'll get there. Um, I I loved going to Paris and I would love to go back. Um, A week was not long enough. And uh, I I did get to go out into the countryside of Champagne, which is actually what the town is called. And I got to view the the Veuve factory and a couple of the Champagne factories. And one of my dreams is definitely to rent a house in the south of France um, or somewhere rural France and um, really assimilate myself in the food culture and uh, learn as much as I possibly can and then bring those skills back home and use them at home because learning new ways to look at food and um, just having a slower pace of life for a period of time just sounds so magical right now, doesn't it? Yeah, it really does. That sounds like a dream vacation for sure. All right. So what's one piece of advice that you can give people listening? Uh, Maybe something that you wish that you knew. There's a lot. Um, I think 
my strongest piece of advice is to go with your gut. There's going to be a lot of advice out there and your initial reaction is going to be to try and get the internet to tell you what to do or get another business owner to tell you what to do. But the reason you're in the position you're in is because you're following something inside of you. You're following your passion. You're following your gut. And I would say when in doubt, I try and take a breath and I say, okay, well, what is my gut telling me to do? You know, and, and, and how do I feel about that decision? So slow yourself down in the moment because you're going to have a lot of those moments where you have self-doubt and a lot of those moments where you're getting conflicting pieces of advice. And I, I think the most important thing to remember is you have to stay true to your own personal branding, your own personal set of values. And every decision that you're making should stay true to that set of, of values. And ultimately, we are representative of our own brand in some shape or form. And when we when we vacate that, when we try something that's outside of what we believe in, you're not staying true to why you're doing what you're doing. Um, but on the other hand, I would say go outside your comfort zone a little bit. You know, there's a fine line where you have to be innovative in order to survive. And this is incredibly relevant right now. You know, we're all kind of uncomfortable yeah. because the there's a lot of unknown and you've just got to go for it and make yourself your biggest fan, make yourself your biggest customer. And don't be afraid to go outside your comfort zone and get your face on camera, get your voice on camera and create your tribe of people around you who are there to support you. And then stay true every single decision you make to is this valid and true to what I want to see myself doing and keep coming back to that place because at the end of the day, that's really all that matters. Yep, for sure. No, that's great advice. Um, okay, so what's next for Pink Colony? Ooh, the million dollar question right there. So... <laughs> <laughs> um, we've put a lot of thought into this. You know, we're, we're actively coming up with a plan and none of us expected to be at this point where we are right now with, with COVID and having our doors closed in our busiest season. Um, you know, our July is our busiest month mm -hmm. of the year and, um, in store. Um, and so, you know, we're, we're looking at innovative ideas. Um, right now it looks like, you know, our website is up and running. Um, I think we're going to be putting a lot more time and effort into our e-com. I'm working with my vendors to yeah. innovate the way that e-com is functioning. And this is something that I would say for anybody who's got e-com right now, you need to advocate for yourself. Um, we're starting the process of working with our vendors to initiate dropship programs. Um, you know, this is a new day and age, and it may mean that brick and mortars are not functioning yeah. the way that they were functioning. And we're anticipating our brick and mortar to function very differently. Um, and we're expecting our website to take a lot of that hit. And we're hoping that the website's going uh -huh. to be able to outperform our brick and mortar. And the only way we're going to be able to yeah. do that is to advocate for great financial terms, to advocate for fresh new inventory, and to advocate for 
um, you know, the potential for creative thinking. And we have to innovate right now. Um, and I, I would like to see our website grow substantially. We've, we've seen a growth pattern in the past few months. And, you know, we're here to honor our customers' needs. And what our customer is telling us is that she wants to shop online. So we're going to do everything we possibly can to mm -hmm. make sure that our in-house fulfillment and distribution is really strong. Our communication is really strong and that she's coming back in a comfortable way. If all else fails, at least our website is going to be giving, uh, giving her what she wants for the future. No, that's, that's great. I think you guys are doing this all right. And, you know, you kind of just have to ride it out and be adaptable. So final question, where can people find you? Let us know your website, your social media handles, all of that. Yeah, absolutely. So our website is pinkcolony.com and our Instagram handle is pink.colony. Um, you can also find us on Facebook. Um, we do a lot of our online sales through communication on direct message on Facebook Messenger um, okay. through we don't have a chat feature on our website, but you can always email us through the website. And, you know, we facilitate a lot of our questions, fit questions, availability questions, inventory questions, stuff like that, um, mm -hmm. right through all of these channels. So, um, yeah, my advice to, would be if you've got any of those questions, log on to Facebook, Instagram, or the direct website and just shoot us a message. We communicate. We usually reach out to you within the hour. So, we have no lives. You guys are our lives, and this is all that we do. So <laughs> if there's anything you need, when in doubt, we are always there for you. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Jessica. Thank you so much for listening to the Preppy Podcast. I hope this put a little prep in your step for the day. Please subscribe, rate, and review on wherever you listen to your podcast. And follow along with at the Preppy Podcast on social media. Yay!